Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy and the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 37 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. As I sit here recording this, I'm finally alone in my home and I've had a really, really difficult few days. So you'll be hearing this in May, later in May, we're in May now, May 16th, 17th, right around there in that week, 17th. So a lot of things that are going on now will be a week behind me or two weeks behind me. And it's in my constant struggles to be okay with a dead child and a bit of a disastrous life, socially, romantically, professionally. Sometimes it's hard for me to pull it together and I just let it go. So I've been really, really angry today, like utterly pissed off. Now, sometimes functioning in a place of anger is not a bad thing. For example, in a workout, take it out on the, on the med ball or the kettlebell or the race. Cleaning the house. I cleaned the house today on my hands and knees because I'm on crutches and I can't walk. Cleaned up a bunch of things I don't feel I should have to clean up, but I couldn't look at it anymore. I work at home and even more so now that I can't really go out any place by myself without consistent support because of being on crutches. So I was just utterly pissed off. I finished a blog that I've been writing forever. And I'm just, you know, in my never ending effort to create a schedule for myself, I realized that I've just lived so long without one or with one that varies and isn't consistent that it's really like asking, you know, a fish to climb a tree in some ways. And I have to figure out how to become the monkey or how to stay the fish. But regardless, I start this podcast in a really, really frustrating way, feeling just anxious inside. Right now it's May, I'm recording it May 6th. And so... I've talked before about Molly's death and how she has three actual deaths. So the first death is May 2nd, when she actually died, was holding her hand. They were cathing her. We were at Concord Hospital. She turned yellow, then green, then purple, then blue. Then they got her heart back. She actually died there. She was no longer, her brain and her body was no longer able to stay alive on its own at that moment. And in hindsight, and in looking back, I think a big part of me knew I was a mess. And then when we found out for sure that she wasn't going to wake up, for parents of children, so when a child is being removed from life support in the state of New Hampshire, the state has to say, yes, for sure, this child won't wake up. And so because Molly's tumor was in her brainstem, on May 6th, on this day, the doctor came in, that beautiful white-faced doctor, whose name I will find someday, some other doctors and nurses, and we stood in a circle and watched this doctor do horrifying things to Molly. And he explained to Gracie that what he was trying to do was piss her off, make her really mad so that if she could wake up, she would. And so the things they had to do to her would wake anybody up, pour water in the ear, scratch an eyeball, pinch. And the final thing they did was pull her off the ventilator. And as her O2, I mean, her CO2, carbon dioxide went up and up, she did nothing. She just laid there not moving. So as the one that had to say, yes, okay, we'll remove her from life support, I don't feel that she would have lived. I don't feel that two months later, she would have been able to suddenly breathe. It wasn't, the damage to her brain was significant. It was just blown up. It would have been need to be rebuilt and we didn't have the brain parts, right? So- May 6th is, is the day that her death certificate said that she died, May 6th. But we unplugged her on May 7th. And so for 24 more hours from this day, she still had a heartbeat. And we had this amazing, beautiful day of visitors and painted our hands and made handprints and footprints, which at the time I didn't like. And I love them now. They're right, 
in my front hall right now. So this day is a sucky day anyway. I'm just like, ah. And I have a Molly B memorial workout at my CrossFit gym tomorrow. And, you know, by the time you hear this, it will have happened. And, but I'm going into it. I'm just anxious that it won't happen. Or a lot of people won't come or it will just, I don't know. I worry about these things all the time. And then there's just my day-to-day support. I work really closely with my podcast editor on setting a schedule and keeping track of one another and really filling each other in. I'm not as good at putting, when I finish something, I'm, oh good, I'm done, but I don't always let him know. And so he's, you know, a couple hours away wondering, what has she done? Is she done with anything? And so I'm trying to get better at when I finish a task to put it into our communication system and say, look, I've done this. I have a much better sort of idea of how my schedule should be. And if I didn't have him doing this, it would be terrible. I don't even know why I started that that commentary. But this morning, I know why, because this morning it's Friday. And so Friday's my day. It's a work day. Jack goes to big boy school on Fridays. So last night, Gracie's up visiting because it's death week and tomorrow is Saturday and it's the day that I'm going to pledge Molly. So last night, as we're getting ready for bed, you know, for me, it's like, please everyone get up early and get Jack situated. And I want to get started. And (laughs) Kenny will be mad at me when he hears this, but he says to Gracie, oh, tomorrow, just sleep in. Don't worry about it. And I'm just thinking to myself, what do you mean just sleep in? I can't, I can't. So I didn't say anything because Gracie's here and I want to fight in front of Gracie. So this morning was alarmingly frustrating. You know, I woke up early. What I would like to do is get up and get started. And Kenny has, through all the years I've known him, we've joked about Kenny time. He just moves at one speed, 30 miles an hour. The only time he's faster than that is when he's driving in a car or getting ready to go golfing. Then he can move quickly. I was just frustrated, frustrated, like, come on. And even when people were around. So on my day, this is me venting about being a parent at 57 with a full-time stay-at-home dad. (laughs) So on my work day, if I worked in a different building, which maybe I have to do, this is self-growth here. Maybe I just have to get up and schlep to the car and leave the house. Because if I wasn't here, somebody else would have made his lunch. Somebody else would have thought the bottle. Somebody else would have packed the diamond bag. Somebody else would have done the 9 million things that I did because I wanted him gone. Not that I don't love Jack around, but I get nothing done when he's here. He follows me and he whines. You know, Kenny said, well, I just have to go do some things upstairs. Take the baby with you. I can't. So I'm downstairs by myself with a crying baby on the kitchen floor. I can't walk. Listen to me vent. Oh my gosh, I'm such an, in such an angry mood. And, you know, I'm starting the podcast this way because we all get angry and, and women especially. Well, let me take that back. People in general, are, we, we function in a society that tells us to hide our feelings. And then we wonder why people explode and cut loose with gunfire in movie theaters and schools or burn down buildings or jump off cliffs or end their lives. You know, we spend all of our time making sure that we're behaving appropriately. Now, not going to the bathroom, you know, on the, in the middle of the street at noontime, going to church naked. I get it. There are certain conformities we have to do, you know, obviously to be a cultured and civilized society, but spending all of this time hiding our feelings or, or faking so that we can be okay just leads to anger. And so this morning, what I realize I need to do, because people don't change, is I have to say, here's a list, start now. And, and I have to set it up because otherwise, I'm recording this podcast. It's noon. It's noon. This is my day. And I really didn't get started here till noon. I had to brush my teeth and all that on the clock. And I should be able to do those things when the baby is still here. So this is me starting my day venting. And, and I think probably this is a way that raising a child is no different no matter what age you are. We all struggle. And I think the majority of moms whose brains are wired for infrastructure feel that they do 90% of it, that the other 10% gets done because you ask for it to happen. Now, let me say, if Kenny made a list of everything he did today, at the end of the day, he's done a ton of stuff. He doesn't, he's not sitting around. He's not wasting time. At least I don't think so. I don't know what he's doing now, but he's not here. 
So I don't know. And he does everything I ask him to do. Please go get balloons. He'll go get balloons. Please do this. He'll do it. So, you know, it's one of those things where I just want to be angry, but I don't quite know who to be angry at. And then I look in the mirror and I realize I'm probably most angry at myself. In a season that's supposed to focus on Jack and being a mother, let me just say to my friend who had, who has just had twins and talks to me at two in the morning when neither of us can sleep and struggles with all of the things that come with not raising just one baby, but two. I'm mad today. I'm angry and cranky. And to the full-time working mothers that do it all and do the carpooling and all that kind of stuff, I get it. And to the dads, to the dads that take all of this on and miss their dead children and nurture their new babies, I get it. And it's okay to be mad. It's also okay to feel blessed with what you do have. And what I do have is a dad for, for Jack that is in love with his child and loves to spend time with him and treats him profoundly, profoundly well. Jack is not mistreated. Does Jack see anger and frustration and sense it and feel it? Absolutely. I know that he does. This has been a really hard week and Jack is a really good sleeper. I have slept. It's every other night. So tonight will be my own light awake night, but he's a wonderful sleeper. But these past few nights, I notice it because I'm awake. He, he's nursed and nursed and nursed and nursed. And I, he's, I don't believe that he's hungry. I just believe that he senses my stress and needs to connect with me to know that he is safe. Babies are amazing. And so I feel like that's, that's the case. And then he'll sleep, you know, apparently sleep well and then sleep two more hours an hour after he wakes up. So here I sit, rambling on about the chaotic life that is Barbara Higgins. I want to call out a few things before I get started. And I'll recall them out at the end. But I got this. So a friend of mine, Lisa, I just, we just met and she comes to CrossFit with me now. And I just want to let everyone know how impressive it is when somebody has been out of the workout realm for a long time and is starting over and is in a room full of people that for all intents and purposes look incredibly fit. And Lisa has come two weeks now without missing. Once she decided she's not missed a class and she works hard and she accommodates the, the movements and she stands up and speaks for herself. I'm just so proud of her, but I was really struggling. I also work in a group with her. We're doing a group. I joined a group with a, some entrepreneurial women that she leads. And I've met these amazing women. I mentioned that in one of my Facebook lives, Lisa follows me on Facebook and sees where I'm struggling. And so she brought, she goes, this is just a little gift for you. And it's wonderful. It says, grow through what you go through. This is a wonderful, wonderful metaphor. This is a good way for me to think about raising Jack. It's a good way for me to think about organizing my life and managing anger and all of the feelings that I have. It's not telling me to smile. It's not telling me to smarten up. It's not telling me anything. It just, it's just telling me to grow through it. You know, I'm going to go through it and I'm going to feel the way I feel, but hopefully I can come through it bigger and better. So I love this. So thank you, Lisa. It's just a nice, I think it's a nice saying. Another thing that I want to call out is, so I have a ton of high school friends. You know, Concord's one of those communities where sort of everyone knew everyone when I was growing up. It was much, much smaller because not because the numbers of people living in Concord was that much smaller, but because the surrounding communities weren't quite so connected. So, you know, you didn't know people as easily from other towns as you do now due to social media and that sort of thing. My high school class is full of amazing people. All of us stay in touch quite a bit. And of course, social media, people my age love social media because we just talk to and, and connect with people that we grew up with. So Mary Curry Ashley, Mary Curry and Daryl Ashley started dating in junior high school. They're like a true love story and they're still together and they have grandchildren and all. And Mary reaches out all the time. And I really appreciate it. I really appreciate people that I'm not necessarily connected to reaching out. And sometimes they're the ones that can reach out the best. You know, Mary and I didn't have a close relationship when I had Molly. She didn't get to know Molly, but she can see from afar how much I'm suffering and she can reach out and offer support in a way that's easier than somebody that's in it with me. And I've talked before about how tricky it is for Kenny and Gracie and I to support each other in our grief. I don't have it. I need someone to support me. And the people closest to it are the ones that are sometimes the least able to help in grief. And so she sent me this wonderful Mother's Day 
article about a woman that was written by a woman who lives in the Pacific Northwest. And she had a son that died 25 years ago now. And he was seven when he died. He was deaf. He had some significant physical issues and really outlived how long they thought he would live. But he died at seven. And the whole article was about how Mother's Day is like Memorial Day for mothers who have lost children. And it's so true. Actually, Mother's Day was started. The first Mother's Day didn't commemorate living children at all. It commemorated mothers who had lost children. It's interesting. So always I want, before I lost children, I loved Mother's Day. And, and I want all mothers to have the best Mother's Days ever. We need to be recognized in all the ways that we mother. But it's also really tricky when you've lost a child. And so this article is phenomenal. And Mary sent it to me. And so when I woke up this morning, the day before we unplugged Molly, two days before Mother's Day, I read this wonderful article and it was super helpful. Her missive was very similar to a lot of what I say. And it is that we are largely invisible sometimes because people don't want to acknowledge a dead child. And so people disappear from our lives. And, and it's not that they don't want to be friends or love you, but the thought that, okay, if, if Barbara's daughter died, then my daughter could die. It's too much. And I understand that feeling. I just in the months before Molly died, I said to Kenny several times, I don't think I could survive it if one of them would die. I have to get up off the couch sometimes if the hallway door is open to the front hall. I was having one of those moments. It was the fall of 2015, I think. And I was having a moment where I was panicking about Molly dying and I was freaking out. Molly and Gracie came tootling down the stairs and I'm like, Barbara, it's fine. It's not going to happen. Here she is. You know, and then it did happen. So I have to get up sometimes and change where I'm sitting because that memory is strong. So Mary... Curry, Ashley, wonderful Mary. Thank you so much for that article. I really appreciate it. I also want to call out, so a friend of mine on Facebook, actually a friend of mine for over 20 years, Sean Snow, was just on a podcast. And this man, Bob Turner, he's a big member of the running community and the triathlete community and all, has a podcast now and it's called Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. And, and, that, and I use that very ordinary, extraordinary phrase in my podcast. I was drawn to it immediately and he's done 14 episodes, maybe more now when this comes out, but his 14th episode was with Sean and his daughter, Stephanie. And they're ordinary folk live in Concord, New Hampshire here. I think Stephanie might live in Maine. Bob is in Maine. And his podcast is interviewing ordinary people that have done extraordinary things. And so I listened to the podcast and it was wonderful. Very, very low tech right now. Just interviews people on Zoom, which is perfect. What's important in a podcast sometimes isn't you looking at me, those that are watching, but what's being said, the words that are being said and the meaning behind the words. And it was just tremendous. So I have used running as a metaphor for my life always. And it wasn't until I lost my job and part of that included losing coaching and losing connections with so many runners that I loved and with the principal of the high school, Gene Connolly. They were all really connected to my running. And I didn't run. I tried to keep running after I lost my job. I really, I couldn't, I'd run down the road and turn around and come home and cry, get back into bed. Sean talked about the fact that you can look at the actual event. He's in Utah right now doing an Ironman. So that's a two point something mile swim I don't know quite exactly, 2.4 maybe, 112 miles on a bike and then a marathon, 26 miles. You do that all, all in one day. So people, people that aren't into these things look at the event as what's significant. Oh my God, he did that. Whereas the athlete themselves, and I, I think about this in, in my five-minute mile and all the things I did in college with my running, is it's the process. It's what you go through to either have the success or finish the race. That's the important piece. And the qualities that you develop along the way. And Sean talked a lot about what the process of becoming an athlete, an endurance athlete did for him. I actually knew him before he had run a step and we talked or run a step seriously. And I was just back to Concord. It was like in the mid nineties, early nineties and talking about, you know, oh, you run, can you give me some advice sometime? And, you know, before I knew it, he was just involved and in, in enveloped in the running world. He was a coach for a long time. 
So it was wonderful to listen because it reminded me, you know, grief can also be very self-consuming and it just reminded me of how many good things there are in the world. If you like listening to stories, and I've only listened to that one podcast, but I don't think it's just athletic stories. I believe it's stories about a lot of different kinds of people. When I get to the point of having guests, he's somebody that would have on, and I hope someday he'll have me on his. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things with Bob Turner. That's what I wanted to say next. Jack, me, mom at 58 versus 38. (laughs) All the things that go with it. Right now, what is prevalent in my mind, and I think all the time, is the political strife and culture around Jack's first years on the planet as a human baby and how I respond to it. I talked before that after Gracie and Molly were born, well, after Gracie was born and during Molly's early years, the United States was as unified as it's ever been because it was us against them. The World Trade Center attacks and the Pentagon attacks and the plane going down in Pennsylvania. I remember Chuck drawing a huge flag at the end of my driveway and we all loved America back then. And it was very unifying, red and blue together. And while, you know, Democrats and Republicans just fight, 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 and then libertarians come in and free staters and all of that. We all have the way we feel. When we live in a country that promotes the fighting as opposed to having us sit together at the table and find the common thread, nothing good happens and nothing good is happening. So right now, as I record this, Roe versus Wade, there was a leak from the Supreme Court that it was going to be overturned. And there is so much more that goes into overturning something or voting for something in the Supreme Court. It really is designed to be completely separate from politics. And right now, it is probably the most political body in government. And that is heart-wrenching. Heart-wrenching for all the people in our country, which is everybody, that relies on a Supreme Court that leaves Donald Trump and Joe Biden out of it, that leaves all of the people connected to those people out of it. Politicians have no place in that court. The hard part is the process to get on the court is extremely political. Who chooses the nominees? The presidents. And then who says yes or no? Politicians. So we've created a corrupt, in my mind, terrible world that doesn't look at anyone's best interests except their own. There's a little girl missing in New Hampshire and presumed dead, and her name is Harmony Montgomery. And she was given to to a very abusive father and then disappeared and hasn't been seen for two years. Horrifying, horrifying to think this poor child either could be alive somewhere or suffered a tragic end and nobody can find her. The overriding summary from the investigation is that her needs were never considered or met. Everything, every decision made on behalf of this seven-year-old girl made it easier for the courts and the parents and everyone else to push this case through. No one thought about Harmony and what was truly best for her. And how I feel with Roe versus Wade and overturning it is I feel the same way. No one's thinking of me. Now, I know the hardcore right-wingers or hardcore Christians in some respects, not all Christians, but there are people that just believe abortion is black and white. And it is one of the most gray procedures and experiences that exist in the world. And it's existed forever. And the thought of the most powerful nation in the world in many ways, denying women access to free healthcare or access to personal healthcare around babies and pregnancy and all that is mind boggling to me. I can't wrap my head around it. So many other countries that we look, look at as inferior to us take such better care of their women. Should abortions happen? Wouldn't it be wonderful if they didn't have to happen? But as a health educator, I cannot understand at all the absence of men in the discussion, other than the ones that say it shouldn't happen. They, they have their big mouths going all the time. Men have no voice in this unless they're with a woman and have gone through this or unless they're supporting something that they know is right. No man in the world should force me or tell me what to do with my body. No, thank you. 
the only man that should have a voice in whether or not I were to have an abortion or terminate a pregnancy or have a baby or any surgery that I might need is the father of the child. We are equal in that regard. Other than that, if I'm growing the child and my body is the one that's going through the process, go 70-30 for me. We can have a conversation, but I'm the one that suffers. I'm the one that gets to grow the baby and deliver it. I know this is a political tirade, but Jack is, is living. He's a baby in a world that really hates babies. There was a comment on Facebook from someone I love that the post was about women's rights. And she said, what about, what about the rights of the woman in the uterus? In some ways, she's right. That unborn child has rights as well. However, that unborn child is a piece of the woman growing it. And if it exists in a, in a fallopian tube, then it needs to be come out because fallopian tubes don't grow babies. A lot of the abortion laws right now would consider that an abortion. Oh my God, neither the baby or the mother will live. So it's okay in 2022 to have, have this woman go through this painful explosion in her stomach, which results in her death and the death of the baby. That makes no sense to me, it, literally no sense. I've talked a lot about my first child, Gordy, who died at 25 weeks. He was alive in my belly when we drove to that hospital. His broken heart that could only beat underneath water in fallopian inside amniotic fluid was beating. I made the decision to deliver that baby because he was not going to live. And I could not fathom the thought of a nine-month-old baby drowning in his fluid. And that's what would happen. And we had every test and we went through weeks and weeks of looking at everything and asking. I must have talked to 30 doctors and I got mixed reactions. Some wanted me to deliver the baby, not because, yay, he could live, but, well, we could try this and we could try this and we could try this. And I didn't want, I didn't want my child to be a guinea pig. Long story short, baby Gordy didn't even survive two hours of contractions, which means he was not going to live. He was not okay. He was so unokay. His teeny tiny heart has saved countless babies' lives because they were able to look at it in real life, not on a screen. Did I have an abortion? If that's what you want to call it, then call it that. Nobody pulled that baby out of my tummy by my foot. Nobody stabbed it with scissors. Nobody let it die. I was cared for with the utmost love and consideration. And we cared for and loved that baby. And we kissed him and prayed for him. And I gave him to a hospital. And there are babies now alive because of that. If you want to hate me and think I'm going to burn in hell, go ahead. Go ahead. But I, I can't wrap my head around the fact that some other mother is going to be in the position I was in a year from now and not be able to do what I was able to do, which was deliver that baby and do what was right for him and for me and for Kenny and for our family. <laughs> so I know I'm not talking about Jack right now. Well, well, I'm just sharing how I feel. And, and I truly wish we had a world that abortions didn't exist. I truly, truly do. But until men stop raping women, until governments and insurance companies stop denying women birth control, until women are given a voice, until we know how to save babies that have birth defects and then start growing in fallopian tubes, until all of these things happen, until we provide education so people understand when it is or isn't safe to have sex, until we take religion out of this decision. If it's going to be political, the separation of church and state isn't just looking at a Bible in a classroom. Keep your religion out of my body. I have enough religion. I will face my maker and pray for forgiveness and do all the things I think I have to do when my time comes. My time. So anyway, here's Jack in a world where women like his mother will not be treated fairly. Sorry, that's not right. So what do I do differently with Jack than I did with Gracie and Molly around these things? So I've said I belong to the Baha'i faith. I'm not going to make a public statement on the Baha'i feelings around abortion. Find some Baha'i writings and read up on them. I prayed very hard before I ended my pregnancy with Gordy. Prayed and prayed and prayed, and I feel like I did the right thing. Have I been okay about it? I've been okay about 
the ramifications of what his death has done for other babies. But I just wish I didn't have a broken baby in my belly. I wish he had been healthy and I could have delivered him. He'd be 22 now, by the way. So I bring Jack to CrossFit with me and there's a class called Mom Strong. And here's what I love about that class. Jack's first class, he was about eight weeks old, maybe 12 weeks, maybe 10 weeks old. At any rate, he was teeny, teeny, tiny. And he has gone twice a week, sometimes three, to that CrossFit gym since then. The only time he's missed is if I can't go for like a surgery or something or a vacation. What he sees is this incredible group of mothers with their children. 90% of their children are daughters right now. And the coach is a woman. The assistant coach and the guy that helps me is a guy, B, Coach B. So Jack sees a room full of women swinging kettlebells and squatting with wall balls and doing pull-ups and sit-ups and pushing sleds and lifting weights and working out. And he sees all their daughters running free in this gym and in a part of the process. And as the daughters get bigger, they copy their mothers. This is what he sees. What, is, what, what, what does Jack think moms do on Tuesdays and Thursdays? They go to CrossFit and they work out. There are a million ways to show kids these things. You know, I have a lot of friends who have their kids help in the kitchen, cooking and cleaning and all that. I love it. I love it. You know, future chefs of America. So whatever it is that you do, because I'm an athlete, my athleticism and what I do to work out is a piece of Jack's life. When Molly and Gracie were little, I had my mother here. So all of my running that I was doing, I did obviously on my own. I pushed them in the carriage. Anytime we went on vacations and when I wanted a good run in, Molly and Gracie spent a lot of time in the jogging stroller. I had a double stroller. So they knew that I ran. They came to the track meets I coached. They came to the road races I ran. They were a big part of it, but actually seeing me train, not as much. And I wasn't into CrossFit then. The last couple of weeks, there's a couple that goes to the gym that have had a baby. And so they come together, the husband and the wife, they come together. Their schedule is such that they can. And they support each other. If the baby's fussy, one works out while the other doesn't. And they switch back and forth. There was running in a workout once and she ran. And then the next time he ran, you know, they, they just took turns. And the other day, a dad came with his daughter and his daughter has been coming regularly with her mom. He's the one that can come now. She comes to MomStrong with her dad. So Coach B works out and adds a level of men doing MomStrong that hasn't existed in my experience until now. I will tell you right now, I love it. I love it. It's not the CrossFit. It's what the hard work gears to and develops and shows. What Jack is seeing is that men and women include their children in their health and help one another and support one another in their quest to be healthy, to be strong, and to feel good about themselves. In today's world, I think communities like this are what we need. And I wish communities like this had the power to make decisions in Washington. My mother took Gracie and Molly to Baha'i children's classes. I haven't actively practiced religion in a long time. I just, I just got, got to be too much. I don't like the structure sometimes. I don't like doing something because there's a law or a book that says I have to do it. I have to follow the law because I want to or because, because I feel that it's more important to follow it than it is for the reason I might not want to. Sometimes that just gets hard on me. I don't like being told what to do. I got told to be quiet too often <laughs> as a child. <laughs> so Molly and Gracie went to children's classes with my mother. Molly died at 13. At that time in her life, she was asking a ton of questions about heaven and hell and different religions. And why do people believe different things and who are the prophets and all of that. Gracie was 15 when Molly died. And at that age, that's the age of maturity in the Baha'i faith. And a 15-year-old can then say, yes, I'm a Baha'i or no, I'm not. Gracie was sent all of the things to welcome her to the faith and to make that decision. And of course, she associates that, that whole package arriving with the week that Molly died. So, you know, I think in her heart, she probably considers herself mostly a Baha'i because that's the religion she knows the most of. She asks questions often about how we think about things and all of that. I think it'll be similar with Jack. 
I want Jack to go to children's classes. I want him to meet other children that are Baha'is. I have a lot of friends that really raise their children strictly in the faith. Lots and lots of Baha'i activities all the time. And I don't see that any of these children are any more involved in the faith than my kids are. And so I think sometimes what we have to do is raise our kids the way that we feel that we should. I don't want Jack or Gracie, and I did not want Gordy or Molly to believe something just because I believed it. I have some friends who are atheists and then their children are atheists. Well, that's wonderful if the research into proclaiming atheism by the part of the children came because they researched and found their truth. I have a lot of friends who are Catholic and their kids are Catholic. You know, that's a very family-oriented religion. So lots of people raised in Catholicism stick with it. It's very familiar and there's comfort in the routine and the structure. I get it. You know, I have a lot of friends who are raised in Catholic families that aren't. Churches, in my mind, the churches in Concord are relatively full on Sundays. It's nice to see large groups of people getting together to believe and worship and praise a God that they all believe in together. Jack will learn about all the prophets because that's what Baha'is believe. We all believe, Baha'is believe in all of the prophets, that revelation is progressive and that God sends messengers as mankind needs an update. You know, you can't do addition your whole life. You have to eventually get to third grade and do multiplication and then get algebra. And then all the, you know, math gets harder and harder as you get older and able to do it. That's a simplified view of how Baha'is believe the prophets. You can't be a Baha'i and not believe in Jesus, but there's a whole lot of other prophets other than Jesus that we also believe in. So the wonderful thing about the faith is lots of children of Baha'i parents find other religions and become them. The Zoroastrian religion and the Buddhism and Islam and Hinduism, all of the beautiful, beautiful ways that we can celebrate and thank whatever God it is we believe in is available and learned by Baha'i children. And so for Jack, it will be that. Politically speaking, I have relatives who are definitely on the side of the Democratic Party. I have relatives that definitely are on the side of the Republican Party. What I love about my family is no one in my family, red or blue or purple in between, uses their political side to just agree with everything because that's what the side believes in. I have healthy, healthy Democrats and Republicans in my family, this is how I feel, that take their half out of the middle on certain things. I have relatives who are hardcore NRA. We all should have guns. Big, big supporters of the freedom to bear arms. Most of these relatives are also hardcore in support of Roe v. Wade. Not that they support abortions, but they support the fact that it really isn't our business to dictate them. So that's Jack's sort of reality. His, in his life, in this house, we are definitely much more on the liberal side of things. I remember Kenny's dad, we were talking once and I made a comment about Kenny being a Democrat and his father was crestfallen. What? You're a Democrat? And I'm like, hey, I am too. <laughs> Sorry. It was interesting. And, and you know, we, we hold on to our beliefs, I think, because they, they define us in some ways, but they can also hold us in and shut off a lot of what we could see if we opened our eyes and opened our hearts. Along with what's different for Jack and for Gracie and Molly in our communities is the much bigger prevalence of gay couples that are outwardly gay couples. When I was in high school, I didn't know any two mom families, zero. I didn't know any. And being gay was just nobody talked about it. And now it's, in my mind, it's not a big deal. And it's much more talked about in schools. Does that mean bullying doesn't still exist? No, kids get bullied all the time for all these things. The transgender movement is incredibly difficult for a lot of people to focus on or deal with. To me, it's all growth. It's all growth process. The human existence, human beings are individuals, but all together, every human on the earth creates a huge ball of energy that has nothing to do with the dirt. It has to do with the people. And part of our job is to support and learn and grow with one another and all of that. And so I look at the equality of women and men and the definitions and, and limitations that 
being defined as a certain gender have been able to put on people is important to look at. You know, you can't live inside a body that you don't feel comfortable in. You have to figure it out. And, you know, I can't speak for anything I don't know. I know what it's like to be sexually assaulted. And I know what it's like to be a woman in a man's world. And I know what it's like to be criticized for the size of my boobs or how old I might look or my flabby tummy. And I know how it is to be held back and not paid as much because of my reproductive organs. <laughs> so what I hope for Jack is that by the time he's old enough to really understand all this, that it has just continued to move along, that we as a society and a culture have a better handle on the transgender community and understanding the importance of pronouns and descriptors and understanding that clothing doesn't define who you are as a human being. It just defines how you want to look in clothes, you know, that he will be an accepting person and understand that he can be who he is. If he, if he's a he and is a hardcore boy, good for him. That's what he gets to be. If he's, if he's gay and loves and loves another man and wants to marry that man, good for him. If he falls in love with a woman, good for him. As long as he is a good partner and a healthy person, that's all I want. And, you know, quite honestly, that's all I ever wanted for Gracie and for Molly. I have some friends who have children that are transgender, two or three different families, actually. It actually is eye-opening and wonderful for me. I've met several from very, very different backgrounds and different realities. And the parents, watching the parents strive to support their kids and then struggle with what they might feel they've lost. There's loss for a parent when their child is transgender because they had a baby that they thought was one or the other. And these are things that are hard to hold on to. I think this is one of the biggest pieces of growth and I will do my best to get better at it. I just want to explain it right to Jack. I had a wonderful conversation with a friend of mine around all of it. And she was teary-eyed, not sad, teary-eyed, so glad that her children felt comfortable enough to be who they were, you know, just trying to be the best mom to all that that she could be. So that's what I want to be. That's what I want to be for Jack. How have I changed? And how does that affect culture and social justice? I don't think I've changed in terms of my desire to be accepting, I think I've changed in what I am now learning to accept and not even accept, just grow into. It's just a very different world. I'm sad that our world is as divisive as it is. I'm sad that Jack lives in a country that expounds itself on freedom and yet does everything it can to take freedom away from big chunks of its population. We're a country of immigrants and we just take all our time to make sure only certain people get things. I don't, I don't understand it and it makes me sad. And quite honestly, it's the first time that I've actually considered taking Jack and raising him someplace else, someplace else like France or England or, you know, Brazil. I don't know. I Believe me, I'd look because I feel now that maybe this isn't the place that he will be most protected in terms of criticism or not that we need protection from criticism, but it's just, I don't feel anyone is safe right now because people are so angry and finger pointy and closed-minded. It hurts me and I, get, I worry about it. And so much of Jack will come from the values that I instill in him. You know, Kenny, his upbringing was much different than mine. You know, I come from so many, you know, my father isn't my father. Oh, he's my father. And divorces and, and a level of financial gain that's much less than Kenny's. Kenny grew up in a very, 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 and there's nothing wrong with this, please, but a very upper class white Republican sort of life in reality. And that was his upbringing. And so that frames a lot of how he thinks. He also got sent off to private school. And all of his formative years were without his family and trying to make it and not always treated very well at that private school. Adolescent boys in the late, late, early 70s weren't very nice. You know, or late 60s, early 70s weren't the nicest people in the world. A lot of how he feels, formulation of how he felt getting picked on and, and all of that and having to come to terms with that all by himself without his mom and dad. That balance to me makes a very well-rounded person. Kenny really struggles, not, not with accepting a lot that's going on in the world, but with 
not using language that's offensive and not not really truly understanding it. But he's so willing. Gracie and I just, it's okay, daddy, keep going. But you know, I can't instill black and white values on Jack when so much of my life is gray. And really so much of everyone's life is gray. I'm not gonna teach him to dislike somebody because they're doing something I disagree with. That's not my place. If people are good and kind, that's one thing. If Jack comes upon a bully, I will do everything I can to teach Jack to keep himself safe from the bully. But I will also look into what's going on with the bullying. Why is this happening? How do we reconcile that? And to teach Jack to look beyond those things. I think that's, that's a big thing. I have so much angry words in this podcast around Roe versus Wade. I just, you know, I don't want Jack to look at his mother as somebody that's held down. So how do I not be held down living in a country that is doing everything it can to hold me down? Look at me just getting off, tra- off track. I actually think I'm going to do a season, a podcast season as a health teacher. I was driving with, I was at physical therapy for my shoulder and I have this amazing PT. And so we were talking and we were talking about all of the Roe v. Wade and just everything going on. And I talked about a health lesson that I did and I'm not going to go into it now because it would take up a whole episode, but anyone that took health of me will remember vagina week. (laughs) So that's going to be an episode someday, but she was saying, oh my gosh, you should do podcast episodes on health education. So I actually think I'm going to. I think I could do, let me tell you, I could do some great podcasts that would be educational for anyone who listens. I'm going to wrap up here. You know, a lot of this, a lot of this episode has, has been fueled by my emotional state. It's May 6th, Molly's second death date. And tomorrow, as I record, this is May 7th, the day that we unplugged her and left her in a cold freezer. (laughs) Came home without her. So I'm not okay. I will never be okay. Don't tell me to be okay. I'm doing the best I can. But there is nothing okay with walking away from your dead (laughs) 13-year-old. Just like there's nothing okay (laughs) with letting all of that cloud how you raise your 13-month-old baby. Not lost on me that Jack is 13 months old right now. He's wonderful, and and we're giving him his best life. As always, thank you for listening. Again, listen to that podcast, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things with Bob Turner. It's new. He has it on YouTube and other places. Take a look on People Magazine's website about the Mother's Day. It's like a Memorial Day for mothers that have lost children. That was a great article, worth reading. And as always, a shout out to the people that, that take care of me. Thank you, Lisa, for the grow through what you go through and just for your support. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kayla. So I have a woman named Kayla that I coach at the CrossFit gym and work out with sometimes. And she, she just knows when to reach out. And thank you. Thank you to, just to everyone that is unafraid to reach out and support and show the love. And hopefully when this comes out, we're not having a national meltdown around Roe v. Wade. Although I think regardless of how it comes out, we'll have a national meltdown. So anyway, be kind to one another. Please don't make a judgment on someone just because you feel that way. That's not what any religious spiritual leader has taught us to do. Put away the judgment and the rhetoric and look at who Jesus hung out with, (laughs) who all the prophets hung out with, really. Jesus would have hung out with me, okay? That's what I'm saying. As always, be good to yourself, breathe your oxygen first, and have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Times Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.